Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yes, yes, yes. So now we're going to leap a thousand years into the future. (gasps) Yay! For this reality, yes. (laughs) Maybe. I love it. Yeah, maybe. Um, The Moat in God's Eye by Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell is our subject today. Um, a science fiction novel from 1974 and a, a hole in my reading life is one of those books that <laughs> just kept coming up and kept coming up, but I had never read until now. And it's yet another one that I'm just really happy to have read. I so. twisted your arm and twisted <laughs> until you cried to uncle and read uncle. it. Uncle, That's right. Yeah. That's right. What a good book. What a good I'm book. I'm so glad you liked it. Yeah. I, on the other hand, for some reason, this is when I you just walk into a bookstore and pick up stuff off the shelf and read it, and it was almost always good. Mm. Oh, the days. I guess oh, maybe that's days. more <laughs> me as a reader, maybe, as well as the days. But anyway, yeah, I have my 1974 hardback of this. Oh, no kidding. Wow. I know. I, I'm stunned. I was like, oh, was it a science fiction book club edition? That's nope, great. Simon & Schuster. <laughs> so, oh, cool. um and I have read this so many times. I really love this book. But I hadn't read it for about 10 years. Huh. And so when I picked it up, I kept going, oh, I forgot this part. Oh, this <laughs> part's so wonderful. And I think I read it in about three days because I was so happy to be reading it again. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, Niven and Pornell, quite a pair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they've written several books together. So. Um, and I, I had read some other ones by that by the pair. I've right, never written. I never. I don't think I've ever read a Pornell novel where he wrote it by himself. I actually don't think I have. No, me either. Yeah, but I've read Niven by himself and with other people. But mm-hmm. um, them together, they wrote Lucifer's Hammer, which is really good. Yeah. And then they wrote The Oath of Fealty, which is not as good. And I never then, read that one. Yeah. And then Inferno, which is one I haven't read. Oh, I liked that one a lot. And that was kind of my book that made me feel like I could read Dante's Inferno. Oh, nice. And it's not a bad modern take on it. Hmm, very good. Well, and Pornell was Catholic. Okay. So I think yep. that kind of helped Love it. keep it a little more true. That's great. So, yeah. And then uh, Footfall, um, which was an mm-hmm. alien invasion story. Yeah. Elephant-type aliens. (laughs) Yes, that Mm -hmm. would throw big asteroids or something on the Earth to bring it into submission. So if you've got to pick a book with big rocks hitting the Earth, (laughs) read Lucifer's Hammer. (laughs) Football's good, but Lucifer's Hammer is better. I haven't read Lucifer's Hammer in so long, and now I never feel like reading it. I know, me yeah. too. Yeah. A good apocalyptic book. That's mm. right. That's right. Yeah. That's what we need is a good apocalyptic book. <laughs> you <laughs> oh, know, something not. to escape reality. We just need <laughs> something, you know, it's so happy out there right now that we just need something I, dismal. I have to say, um, every couple of weeks we've started having a game night during the week in the evenings. Oh, nice. And we've just been, we haven't played games in so long that are more complicated. Uh-huh. We'll play simpler games on the weekends, and my mom will play like Scrabble and things like that. Mm-hmm. But she 
can't grasp these these newfangled games mm. with these big goals and things. She doesn't find this entertaining. So um, we were pulling games out, and I was like, I like that. Didn't we have a game that was a team-building game, and you work together to do something? Rose goes, oh, yeah, about disease. And she pulls it out and goes, called Pandemic. And I'm like, <laughs> holy crap. And so we're playing the game, and I'm going, oh, oh this is all very familiar-seeming about the outbreaks going from city to city. <laughs> oh, boy. It was super fun, but it was uh, more realistic than yeah. I would have expected, <laughs> having gone through that little scenario. too close to reality. Oh, yeah, too funny. I, it was still fun, but yeah, my that's goodness. Great. That's great. So anyway, yeah. anyway, that was aside from the point. That's but. great. Well, th- this book is, you know, the reason I called it a hole in my reading is because this book is one of those, um, I don't know, super highly regarded novels. It's, you know, uh, science fiction. If you look at the history of science fiction, it's like a string of these books. And mm-hmm. Bone God's Eye is firmly in that, in that continuum. You know what I mean? And uh, for some reason, I just never got to it. So what, what made you pick it? I have wanted to talk about this for a long time because I love the first contact stuff in here. Mm, yeah. I remember reading it and thinking these aliens are unlike anything I could have imagined on my own. And the way they think is different enough from anything I think that is the way people would read or would think, but also shaped not only by their alienness, but by the circumstances under which they live oh, or yeah. in which they live. Yeah, completely um, agree. Yep. Yeah, and so I just thought that was so skillfully done. And then the dilemma that is faced by everybody at the end mm. on how do you deal with these aliens? Yeah. Um, it, because they're trying to analyze, are they a threat? They, they've been contained in so, – so just to tell the story really, really quickly is um, the human empire has spread to all kinds of different planets and stars and everything. And we are following at the beginning a young man who's been fighting in a war to subdue a planet that was rebelling. And it's you find out it's all set up as if it was the court system in England or something. Mm. There's an emperor – there are, you know, he's got, he's noble. He'll have to stop after a while being in the Navy, which is the Space Navy, so he can go and run his family's estate, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And about the time, of course, that we come into the story, they have discovered that there's a spaceship that's unrecognizable that's coming from a spot where they wouldn't expect any spaceships to come. And they've never encountered alien life. They've been looking and looking, but they can't figure out why not. And they're like, we think this is an alien ship. You need to go intercept it. And also we don't know what they want to do. So you've got to go protect us from it. Maybe. So he goes off and uh, they do encounter the ship. And what they discover is that there's an anomaly in this area that means that the aliens can't get out of their star system, really. That this guy, that this one alien figured out how was really unusual. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is <laughs> say, we want to know more about these aliens, and we also need to know, can we let them out of their star system? Is it safe? Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and so a lot, so looking at how they kind of develop, here's the threats, here's how we're going to handle it, is I love that stuff. 
you get to meet some of the people, the midshipmen, some of the people. So you have different groups of people that you can follow and get their viewpoints. They get there and these aliens, to me, were just somehow relatable, but also mind-blowing, which I also found fascinating. And then um, they're spending the whole time trying to assess, what are they really like? Will they be a threat? Or will, will all these opportunities that we see them bringing us be the only thing that changes? And as we get to see a little more about the aliens and see a few of their thoughts as things are going along, we're suddenly aware of some stuff that nobody else knows. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, oh, what's going to happen? So it's, yeah. then it starts to turn into a, not really a mystery, but a thriller sort of a, I don't know. It's, it's intriguing. Yeah. It's really intriguing. Yeah. There's, yeah. you know, these, you know, we, they didn't know everything about the aliens, but we know some about that. And, right. you know, they're, they're, it's almost all from the human point of view, but they, it switches into an alien point of view every now and then. And, um, just the, the interaction between them and they're both worried about survival, you know, are we getting ourselves mm-hmm. into something, you know, it's just really fascinating, these thoughts. Yeah. So how do you know how much you can trust? And they also have this really fascinating um, idea of, uh, well, I guess we have to talk more about it in the spoiler territory, but this idea of the mediator, the way the mediator works is fascinating because it seems like everything's being open and trustworthy, but can you really trust someone who's you can identify with so closely and they can identify with you so closely? So the way it's done is just, it's really, I thought works on so many facets and reading it through again, I was pleased to see how much I loved it. I couldn't mm-hmm. believe how much I loved it again. Cause I forgot a lot of things, but at the minute I get to them, I'd remember all of it. And yeah. I was just, in awe of how well this book is written. So. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So um, I, I had a real distinct Star Trek feel at the beginning. Yes, um, I was going to say, it's there very Star Trek-y. There were captains and doctors, you know, and then uh, in comes the chaplain, right? <laughs> so it's like <laughs> Star Trek with a Catholic chaplain. And, uh, you know, that, that yeah. was a fascinating aspect of it too. So in this future world, 3,000 years in the future, um, Christianity is alive and well, and um, I thought that was great. And they all practice it. Yeah, yeah. You know, before people are sent into the, um, before these two ships are sent into this, essentially this star to get through to meet these aliens, they have a high mass blessing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now somebody was uh, writing me a note, and they said that they weren't sure if, they, I was saying they were Catholic. And somebody said, maybe they were Orthodox. Hmm. And I don't think that really matters. They don't ever mention the Pope, but that's not really ever talked about anyway. Yeah, right. But um, but whatever it is, it's a very traditional form of Christianity. Right. And yep. it's got all the rites. It has the Mass. Mm-hmm. It has um, bishops and chaplains and things mm-hmm. like that. Right. And everybody, they don't, you know, they don't, of course, talk about it much, but they take it seriously. Mm-hmm. They yeah, don't they make do. fun of the priests for going, oh, well, yeah, you would say that. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it was just a refreshing take, you know, because it's not often that a science fiction novel set in the future has a really positive view of religion. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I think that this was positive or neutral. It, you know, it was like, this is this is how these folks are, and they're, you know, it's like the, the whole thing didn't fall apart because of religion or something like that, which is often right. what the story is. It's like this is so horrible that these views that these poor humans have is, you know, really detrimental. Um, it's, it feels the opposite to me. Uh, you know, again, it felt just a very positive view of a society a thousand years from now in which Christianity still is around. Exactly. Yeah. And the church is active in science and government and everything because the reason the chaplain is sent along is he's supposed to decide if they have souls. Hmm. Yeah. You know, it says, well, we've run into some other alien creatures, but none of them were really sentient, even though they kind of mimicked sentience. Right. So he's yeah. there to decide if you're sentient, you know, what do we do with that? What yeah. does that mean in terms of our faith and God and everything? And so it's also the really intelligent way that the Catholic Church, anyway, and others, treat this whole idea of aliens. Hmm. It's about the soul. It's it's as always. It's not about what you look like or what you can accomplish. It's about your soul. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. You know, and there, there was even a Scottish engineer in here. <laughs> and, it, and it made me think, you know, is this a homage to Star Trek? You know, or, or just a little bit? <laughs> Because yeah. uh, it was written in 1974, and I read something that said it took some years to write, you know, because they were going mm-hmm. back and forth. But Star Trek would have ended, and and at the time, probably seemingly hopelessly ended, <laughs> meaning there was no, no right. hope of resurrection, um, you know, in what, 71, I think? Um, okay. So it was, what, 69, 70, 71 were the three seasons? If I, I think that's right, but I'm not absolutely positive. But anyway, it was in their recent past that, you know, they had this cool science fiction show and then it disappeared. And I'm wondering if they just put that in there as, you know, hey, this is just a little nod or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know that for sure, but it sure felt like it. They were having fun with it, I think. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. very good, very good. But yeah, it's a it's a terrific story, and, and I really liked um, the realistic way that people traveled. They had to worry about how many G's they were pulling, you know, as right. they um, as they moved around in. Uh, I guess you could call it uh, just local space. You know, if we're just going over there, we're going to fly in local space. But if they're going to jump to another star, they actually have this thing called a. I think it was the Alderson Drive. Yes. And they also had uh, Langston Field, which yeah. helped them survive at the other end of that jump. Instead of a force field, right? Yeah. So um, those two things together allowed uh, interstellar travel to be possible. And um, But yeah, but when you drove around, it was like, okay, we're, we're going to be 10 hours flying to there or, you know, three days or whatever. And it's going to be, we're pulling two Gs. So everybody's just like heavy for that time. <laughs> I, I just thought that was really cool, you know, because yeah. that, that could really be what it's like, you know. I um, hadn't thought of that. Yeah. But In, you're right. And you didn't see him do it much. But when they're trying to get 
to where that alien ship is and intercept it, they've got yeah. to haul butt. That's so, right. And they've got to figure yeah, out they're what, doing everything they what can. can the humans uh, <laughs> survive. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, okay, we can, we can go, we can pull three G's for two days, you know, but everybody's going to be a mess after the end. Right. So, right. Yeah. And, but this, and this book is so, um, it's got all the aliens and everything, but it also has the adventure, hmm. You know, I'm thinking of when the, um, what are they called, miniatures yeah, get yeah. loose. And it's got um, also, though, the political implications of things. Mm. And um, I'm thinking of here, they what they do, this isn't giving much away, and eventually we're going to slide into spoilers anyway, but they're going to, they send along two ships. So one is full of scientists, which just seemed like a nightmare. Hmm. Um, and uh, they send that one to make contact with the aliens. And along with it, they send a big warship. And that one will never contact any aliens. They're going to sit back and watch what happens. Hmm. So that if something all goes south, you know, they can get back and tell everybody what's going on. Because otherwise, the aliens could just come out and go, what? They never made it. We just came out. <laughs> and uh, then humankind is done for. Or yeah. they never get used for anything. It's fine. It's just a precaution. Mm-hmm. And um, everything's wonderful. And they come out with all kinds of new inventions and um, discoveries yeah. that they made on these alien planets. Yeah, very cool. Love yeah, it. Yeah, it's just it's yeah. really it's really good. Yeah, yeah. I just love, I love that, those details. And um you know, this again, and we're we're not revealing too much at the moment, but this first contact between um <laughs> humans and aliens, uh they're worried, they're worried a lot about, you know, being annihilated or um them finding out too much about them and things. And I, I, there's a story from 1945 called first contact by Murray Leinster. Oh yeah. And that was like the, I don't know if that was a first, first contact story, but it was just called first contact. Mm -hmm. And I just remember in that, even back then it was like, you're meeting aliens and there was a complete distrust between the two. It was just Mm -hmm. like, you know, and that's what the story was about was just, uh, you know, how are we even going to talk to each other or interact when um, we can't trust each other? They're just totally afraid on both sides um, about what could happen, you know? Yeah. And so the humanity brought that with them. They're just this healthy, um, by healthy, I mean large. <laughs> it was just no. this large feeling that, hey, this could go very, very wrong. And mm-hmm. uh, let's be really careful. And so you, you'd have some humans that are like, hey, we need to, you know, this is going to be great. Let's go talk to these people, these aliens, you know. And then there are other ones that were like, uh, you know, protocol. <laughs> we're not doing yeah. this. We're not doing that. And just like you said, you know, we're going to stay here. You guys go over there. And um, we're going to be ready for whatever happens. Yeah, and the captain, uh, the person who we start following, he's become a captain in order to do this because he's the only one available at that spot at that time. And he's got to juggle, how do I keep the captain of the other ship happy? How do I keep the scientists happy? They have to be able to investigate and discover things. How do I keep our people safe? Because we really don't know anything about them or how they think or what they might do. And also, how do we protect our military secrets? Mm. Like the Langston Field and the Alderson Drive and all that stuff. Very afraid that they were going to figure that out. Right, exactly, because... 
the reason that the aliens never came out of their little closed star system before is because really the way you have to do it is you go, you transfer from like in the middle of a star to in the middle of a star. And because of the Langston field that protects you. Hmm. But am I, am I right about all this? So then, right. But they'd never developed that. Right. So they try to come through what seemed like the only way out. Well, of course what they didn't know (laughs) is everybody's just burning up in the star when they got there. They'd, uh, they invented it. These aliens invented the drive. They discovered it. And right. then they'd send somebody through or and they'd never come back. And they were like, right. I don't know what's going on. They just have no and idea. The, yeah. And this one ship that got through, they actually, somebody figured out a way to kind of set up a field like that. Right. But anyway, I guess we need to get into spoilers. Yeah, but definitely. if you've hung on this long, you've probably read it. But if you haven't yeah. read it, you're Highly just trying recommend. to get a sense of it. <laughs> oh, just it's such a great book. Yes. Such a great book. Agreed. And even though there are quite a few characters, you get to know and care about most of them mm-hmm. pretty well. And yeah. I can't talk about one part of it because that's a spoiler. <laughs> All right. But well, let's it gets get there. To me every time. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. So. Spoiler okay. territory we are. So when the middies, uh, when the brownies have redone the the little escape pods so that they all go back and land on the planet, and that whole part, just starting to read that part with the midshipmen, when they're getting out of the pods and they're going and looking at the dials on the old museum, they don't know mm, what it is, yeah. to see how to get in. And I'm like, oh, no, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Yes. You know, by the time that ends, I'm very sad. It gets me every time. Oh, for sure. They died such noble deaths. Yes, it was something. That was something. Um, and you love mm-hmm. uh, Whitbread's Fionch Click, who, mm-hmm. or do they click their tongue? Is it Fionch? Yeah, I, I think they, I think that's what yeah. is intended, right? I just mentally always called yeah. it Fionch Click. Yeah, Fionch. Me too. <laughs> uh, that cared about him so much that. She did what no Fionch had ever done before, which is yeah. kill him, right? So that he couldn't be captured. Oh, it was that was something. So those those Fionch clicks, beautiful. those Fionch clicks, yeah, they're they're I, I, what a fascinating idea, you know. So they're they're basically all assigned their own alien, <laughs> and yeah. I mean some of the humans, right? And and the these Fionch clicks, they're like. Uh, Basically, they want to become experts in that person. Mm-hmm. They, they want to learn everything they possibly can about the person that they've been assigned to. And it's like that's their function. And then um, you meet other aliens that their function is to be a mediator. And their their actual physical appearance is different. It's not well, only... Well, the mediators are the Fionch clicks. Okay, yeah. Or can be. I was trying be. to think of, you know, they, what, what, they are, what are other be. things They're that they all do. mediators. Okay, yeah. But some of them, if they're assigned to someone to study, then they become that person's Fionch click. Okay, got it. So, yeah, the yeah. mediators are different... Cla- because the aliens are all different classes. Mm-hmm. And this isn't just like a caste synd- system like you might hear about in India or something. This is their literally differentiated... Uh, yeah. species would Completely you say? Completely a different thing like um, so an engineer for example an engineer is a you know I think that's among the first ones that they met was mm-hmm. an engineer. That's the first one they meet. And the mm-hmm. engineer is a completely different it's they're still Modi's right but right. they've it's like they've evolved to be an engineer or somehow but they're different you know and they act differently 
their mental capacity is different. Um, They're it, only interested in in things that are mechanical or yeah. or <clears throat> manufactured right. that they can. So every car so, looks different because uh, each one is done by the individual engineer that's yeah. assigned to it, well, it's so which cool. they call a brown. And uh, yeah. an engineer would you know. Uh, basically walk up to you and say, you know, give me your cell phone or whatever. And they take the cell phone and they take it apart and then they would put it together perfectly and -hmm. give it back to you. And what they're doing is they're learning how it works. Um, And it would usually work better. Right. Or in a different way that was improved. Yeah. So that, I mean, but that was like their being, it was like Mm -hmm. their, their vocation and their being were the same thing, you know? It's like a, a, a personification of a vocation, you know? Yeah, because when they first um, go, let's see, I've got this marked, and so let's see if I can find it. The, the first person they meet is an engineer, and as you said, they don't often tell us what the aliens are thinking, uh, but as the book goes on, that happens more and more toward the end. But this is the first one who sees them is the engineer who's outside looking at meteoroids for traces of metal. And so she goes back to the ship and it says telescope and spectrometer failed her at first. There were two of the golden slivers and that's super far away um, human ships Mm -hmm. and some bulk inside each of them. But something was shutting out her view of the masses inside patiently. The engineer went to work on her instruments, redesigning, recalibrating, rebuilding her hands working at blinding speed, guided by a thousand cycles of instincts. There were force fields to be penetrated. Presently, she had something that would do that. Not well, but she could see large objects. She looked again. Metal. Endless, endless metal. She took off immediately. The call of treasure was not to be ignored. There was little of free will in an engineer. Hmm. Yep. And so it goes from things like the engineer, which is kind of between sentience, because it will understand what the mediators wanted to do or whatever. And um, so like a species, a part of the species, it's really just almost an animal. They said they were on the planet and they see a porter, super big, strong one. And it said it's animal eyes passed over them without recognition. Hmm. It's just walking carrying whatever and then you have the masters at the far end who we don't really see and the mediators are right next to them Mm. because the mediators have to be um unusually flexible which also makes them a little dangerous from the master's point of view because everybody in the every moti which is what they're all called they all have their own little niche that they fit so the masters have problems because they're being masters and they won't back down and they will fight. So you have to have the mediators to represent their viewpoints because yeah. they can be more flexible about everything. Right. And the masters don't agree with each other. I mean, you, you implied oh, that, yeah. but yeah, you know, they could get, end up fighting each other, but yeah, the masters have their own ideas. Yeah. I found, I found a nice paragraph that I uh, highlighted about the Fionch click. Mm. Um, just another example of, uh, something that you illustrated there, but um, so this human, his name is Roderick Blaine, <laughs> which is like, mm-hmm. you know, that's our captain, exactly who you think he was, right? And yep. uh, <laughs> he he asked you know, he asked the the Modi, what does Fionch Click mean? And the the Modi answers, I am assigned to you. You are a project, a masterwork. I am to learn as much about you as there is to know. 
I am to become an expert on you, my lord Roderick Blaine, and you are to become a field of study to me. It's not your gigantic, rigid, badly designed ship that interests me. It is your attitudes toward that ship and the humans aboard, your degree of control over them, and your interest in their welfare, etc. <laughs> Love it. It's just mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, all these assignments that they have, these these you know special purposes, you know, um, I just think that that's a really just really well done. Oh yeah, very fascinating. Yeah, yep. it was a really interesting idea. And what happens is, is they do their job so well that eventually whoever they're assigned to becomes very comfortable with them. Mm, And so toward the end of the book, somebody's going, well, my French click wouldn't lie to me. She just couldn't. Mm -hmm. It's impossible because they identify so strongly with each other. But of course, what you find out is they can, because they're not just representing you. Right. They're representing the race of Modi's. Yeah. And, um, but it's so there's that level of trust that the humans unwisely give because mm. they do their job so well. They relate to them so well. They know what they want to hear. They, and, and they say, you know, um, because the Modis, we didn't talk about this, but each one of them has one great, big, very strong arm with a big, strong hand. On, and then on the other side, usually the right-hand side is... Three, is it three delicate little arms Mm -hmm. that can do all kinds of different things? Like a doctor will have like super long fingers that are very good at, you know, manipulating things. Mm -hmm. And um, they kind of are nested within each other. The elbows are nested and there's three shoulders and it's it's hard to visualize. But at one point they were talking about Finch clicks and kind of examining the humans were kind of talking about the concept. And they said, well, you know, you wouldn't mistake them. And they said, really? Because remember, sometimes you have to keep counting arms to see if it's, you know, Captain Roderick or his Finch Click talking to you. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's great. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I also liked, um, th- this is unlike Star Trek in that um, the aliens didn't speak English uh, or whatever language they happen to be seeking. <laughs> you know, no just out of the gate, they didn't have a universal translator or anything. So there was this time, you know, after the first contact where they spent a long time learning each other's languages. Well, actually, learning, they learned the human language, right. but uh, their language was just out of reach for humans. They just couldn't quite do it. So. Yeah. Yep. And the chaplain who sent David Hardy, he is also a linguist. So his, as well as doing his mission for the church, his usefulness to the mission is that he will help learn the language. Or since he can't learn it, he is able to pick up enough things about it that he can recognize. They just talked for about 30 seconds, but they exchanged an extraordinary amount of information. Or he would watch them and say, I happen, I can tell this is an emotionally charged conversation. Mm. Even though they can't speak the language and the aliens are being like very alien, they'll go because sometimes something will happen and it will surprise all the Modis. And we'll know from our inside knowledge that, uh oh, this is a dangerous area for them. And that'll go suddenly, they all looked very alien. None of them looked like their Finch Click uh, counterparts, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he can look at it and he can, so he can see that stuff 
without all those other clues. And um, he's very skilled that way. Yeah, yeah. Very, very well pulled off as well. Um, it's really, mm-hmm. you know, the authors just did a really good job with yeah, that. Yeah, the learning the languages thing. I can see why the book took a while as they would probably work through what are all these problems. And then you'd probably have to get somebody. How do you learn other languages? Cause somebody said, I've never seen anything like the way the Finch clicks learn language. They, they take a word and they try it every single way you can try it. And, um, all kinds of, uh, combinations. And they said, that's only because you've never watched, uh, David Hardy work because mm. he's a trained linguist and he doesn't. He goes, well, I, I did not, I can never do it as well as them. They're just kind of made for it. But yeah, that's how you learn a language like that. Yeah. Super good. Super good. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked, uh, see one of the characters asked them about, uh, Christianity, um, that I have highlighted. It's, uh, in fact, I think it's the, the guy Potter, I think he's the engineer, mm-hmm. the Scottish guy. Says, no, and, that's and Sinclair. Sinclair, sorry. Potter is one of the midshipmen. Okay. And he's from he's from New Scotland, and they're the ones where the star that they came out of is called Murchison's Eye, because that was an explorer who found like the sun and the area and everything. And then the moat in that eye was, uh, as we find out later, it was a laser cannon that was used to launch the Modi ship, but nobody mm. knew that at the time. So a religion grew up around that. Yeah. And it was called the church of him because that right. was God's <laughs> eye. Yes. And the Modi's cool. are the moat in God's from the moat in mm-hmm. God's eye. And that's why they're called Modi's. Yes. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, no, but go I ahead. I love that. I love that. But he was from there. So he's, yeah. he explained all that to us at the beginning. Very good. Yeah. And he said, and you have nothing like Christianity with his accent, <laughs> Potter demanded. Yeah. And the, the Modi says, no, we, we've had prophecies of a savior who'd end the cycles, but we've had everything, Gavin. It's for damn sure there's been no savior yet. <laughs> Interesting. And the cycles are something that we should talk about. But, um, yeah. but yeah, but it's, uh, and this is pretty late into the book, page 370 out of mm-hmm. 550 or so. Um, but yeah, so it's interesting, you know, they, they understand religion and, um, you know, they, they like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. But they're learning everything they can. Well, and their culture is unimaginably old. Yeah. And, but yet with mysteries, because when uh, we haven't talked about Sally at all, she's rescued from uh, Rod, Roderick Blaine. Rod Blaine Hmm. rescues her from the planet that the rebels were on. She'd been in a prisoner of war camp. And she's also noble, but she was studying archaeology when she, or she was an archaeologist just out on her first archaeological adventure when the planet, you know, turned rebel and she was thrown into this prison or war camp. So she happens to be on the ship when all the stuff with the Modis happens. And so she winds up going along as an archeologist and Mm -hmm. she's found on her digs, like (laughs) not that far down, there'll be something that looks super duper primitive. And then under that, there'll be something that looks really sophisticated. And they're like, we can't figure this out. Mm -hmm. And they never really have a good explanation. The Modis don't, Oh, I don't know. And everybody just lets it go. But what happens, of course, is they've had so many wars that mm. the that, that the humans were so worried about. We're a warlike species. We're we're sorry to tell you, we're awful. <laughs> and they're like, oh, well, that's okay. We we knew people would have to be different. Say the Modis, hiding the fact that they're locked into these cycles that make war inevitable. Yeah, yeah. 
And that was part of the religion question he was asking. Yeah. Um, he said, yeah, the, the, you know, have you no religion at all then? You know, he says, we've had thousands, Demodi says. The Browns yeah. and other semi-sentient classes don't change there as much, but every civilization of masters produces something else. You know, so it's like they've been through these cycles of civilization springing up um, with different, you know, just it's like a, a different thing than what came before. And then eventually they end up in conflict and um, they have a horrible war and then the cycle starts again. And then there's a rise of another master and a new civilization and new religion, and then there's a war, and it's just that that's their cycles. Well, and so let's talk about why the cycles happen mm-hmm. and why war is inevitable. You bet. Which is that. Which is population, right? Yeah, they have to get pregnant in order to live. And they'll change sexes. So they start off female, is that it? Have a baby. And they have to, within two or three years, they have to become pregnant or they'll die. Right. I mean, and then after the baby, then they'll turn male for a while. And then I don't understand exactly how it works. They didn't explain tons about it, and that's fine. Yeah. I accept it. (laughs) But that's (laughs) so that's their terrible secret because it doesn't matter what they do, the population rises and rises and rises until it just can't support anything. Uh, Wars start, and they're essentially blasted back to the stone age every time not every single time because every every time this happens they eventually learn what happened before Mm. and they try to come up with different people different modis try to come up with things that might alleviate this problem and they've never been able to come up with anything so yeah you know um and so that's their terrible secret and that's why they can't be allowed out because they would just take over the galaxy. Because at one point, is this two of the Modis talking maybe? Or maybe with the midshipmen they're talking. Because when the midshipmen are stranded on the planet, that's our chance to really get the Modis' truth and point of view. Because mm. they're like, one, one master thinks, no, I think if we cooperate, you'll let us have a planet that's really far away. And we'll terraform a planet for you, and we'll terraform one for us, and everything will be wonderful. And, of course, what everybody, what the other Modis all know is, but we'll never stop breeding because we can't. Right. And therefore, yeah. we will eventually start to take over the part of the galaxy that has the humans in it. And then the humans will fight and either kill all of us or they'll all be dead. And that's no good either because then we're just going to have all this going on on planet after planet after planet. Yeah. So there's no answer to this right scenario. so what do you do <laughs> yeah what does humanity do with that it's, yeah yeah but they don't know it yep. until almost the end of the almost book almost the very end yeah they're i mean midshipmen are told but they die and mm-hmm. everybody is told that oh well they're their ships all crashed and they all died and everybody's like well isn't that convenient all three <laughs> of them yeah that's right and people are going well there's no reason they'd lie to us <laughs> And I was like, this sounds like today with, you know, the people who are so hopeful and the people who are so paranoid, as Mm -hmm. it turns out, the paranoid ones were right. (laughs) Right. And I really love that, that, I don't know, last 50 pages or whatever, when you've got Modi's and humans now meeting each other and negotiating and 
Um, they're like, okay, how are we going to live together? You know, how are we going to avoid war? Um, you know, uh, and then these, you know, you're going to have your own planet, you know, we're going to make, you know, this terraforming, like you said, <clears throat> and all the time the Modis have this secret mm-hmm. and they are, you know, holding on to that thing. And the humans, some of them are really paranoid and some of them are like, you know, Hey, this is going really well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a, basically there are, there's an ambassador who's a master and then two mediators who come with him. And they all come to the human side to talk, diplomatic talks. And there's a commission the emperor sets up. And these are the people who have to decide, is it safe? Is it okay? And so you've got people like Sally and the other scientists who are like, they're just, they're perfectly harmless. I don't know why you're worried. Um, Rod isn't sure because his ship... (laughs) <laughs> some miniatures got out on his ship and unknowingly bred everywhere. And then following hmm. just their animal nature changed because they're like miniature engineers. They changed everything on the ship and the ship was being torn apart and they had to abandon it and blow it up. And he's been very scarred <laughs> by that. Yeah. So he wants to believe that it's okay because he knows if he votes against it, he's supposed to, he's, they've just gotten engaged. Maybe he and Sally and he's like, I'm afraid that she won't marry me. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid she won't love me anymore if I vote against this without a really good reason. And he goes, I don't necessarily trust him, but I don't really see a reason not to trust them. And he's the voice of balance, I think, mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Because yes. this mm-hmm. is the thing where um, the admiral of the battleship is saying, we're going to go back to our space and we don't know what happened, but we're not taking anybody with us. Mm. And as Rod starts talking to him, he's like, well, but you have to look at it from both sides because luckily he's also a member of the aristocracy. He understands the way that the court is going to think the emperor is going to think he understands political things. The admiral might not, but also because he understands that he won't just give in and do what the scientists want either. He's really able. He's the only one who's really capable of balancing all those things so that they're taking small steps toward talking, so that when the Modis are out in the human part of the universe, that no one winds up going all paranoid or all hopeful. Because there's him, there's uh, Renner, who is a real independent character, and I just love him. There's uh, the chaplain, Hardy, who is super nice and likes the Modis and everything, but he's like, there's something they're keeping from us and I can't put my finger on it and I don't know how I know, but I've had a lot of people lie to me. <laughs> I'm a confessor. Yeah, yeah you know? that was good. Uh, yeah. I loved that practical experience that made him kind of just have that sense of it. And those three, and then the one scientist who's kind of just there, he's not been involved in that. He's more academically interested in just the species he's been dissecting the, the ones that came through before and all that stuff. Um, he's disinterested because he's just, he's just in his own head. (laughs) He's just a scientist. Yeah. Yeah. But Rod is really helpful because when he's not 
tied up in his own things about, I had to blow my ship up. You know, I didn't like that part, but um, yeah. Maybe Sally won't marry me anymore. I'm like, oh, get a grip, man. (laughs) Once is okay, but five times I'm done. Yes. You know. Right. Am I losing her? (laughs) Maybe. I hope so now. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's but anyway, fun. I don't know if any of that was helpful. No, I love that. I love that. But um, I, again, if we if we're thinking from a religious point of view, from a Catholic point of view, um, David Hardy was the voice of the church in yeah. these discussions. And when it came up that, hey, maybe you know, so after all this has been revealed, and now humanity knows what the secret is. And they're thinking through it, and they're realizing that conflict is inevitable. They can't, they're mm-hmm. not going to be able to avoid it. <clears throat> they say, you know, the idea comes up is, you know, hey, maybe we need to just exterminate the whole race. And uh, David Hardy's like, uh, it says, David Hardy's voice was low but very firm. The church would object to that very strongly, Senator, with every means we have. And um, I just yeah. thought that was great. I mean, it's just like, yeah, you know, pro-life, awesome. <laughs> I just, well, yeah, it was because so cool to, to hear that point of view. I did like that, too, because, mm. because when you think about it, there was no answer at all yet right. for what they were going to do. Yeah. So for all he knew, they were going to be able to get out, and they were going to just overtake the human race. Yeah, but he's like, no, we're not doing that anyway. Mm-hmm. That's not worth it. Yeah, that's not that's not what we do, right? It's yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. I know. I did love that. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the solution does come up, you know, which is blockade, right? Yeah, blockade, and because there's only one way out. There's only one way out uh, from a the Alderson Drive to jump out of that system. There's only one place. They call it the Crazy Eddie Point. <laughs> <laughs> There's only one, that's the only place for, you know, reasons of physics and stuff that a ship can jump out of the system that they're in. And uh, they said, well, what we'll do is we'll just guard that spot and, uh, you know, like forever. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then the Modis can just go through their cycles um, on their planet. Yeah. And because what the, at one point, what the... um, Modi's are really worried about also is that when they, if they don't know about the cycles, they're like, what are we going to do? Because they can tell from the way things are escalating in their society that they're getting ready to the end of another cycle. Things are building and building and building. And they're Mm -hmm. like, they're going to come through in however long this takes, 20 years, 50 years, whenever, and we're going to be helpless we're going to have bombed ourselves back to the Stone Age. There's barely going to be anyone. And it's like, what if they come in and destroy us all then? Hmm. And I thought, that's interesting that they've been talking to all these scientists and things. Now, they know there are people who feel the other way. But to think that that would be the thing they would do, that humans hmm. would do, um, to me, that showed exactly how alien we were to them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Their point of view. Right. Exactly. Because what they're worried about is we, that, you know, like you said, they're all worried about the same thing. Are you going to try to wipe us out? We can't let that happen. Right. Yep. A deep distrust. But, you know, that's an interesting problem that's come up a lot in science fiction is like, what if you hit this 
point where just conflict is inevitable, you know, and humanity does too, right? You know, when the resources mm-hmm. go away, you know, people fight over water or something like that. Um, well, and this empire has done that. That's how they um, conquered the or won the succession wars. Yeah, right. That they said went on for hundreds of years and were fueled by, was it the planet Sauron, who thought they could breed yeah. supermen that were <laughs> better that than detail. everyone? They I know, and, and poor uh, Horst Staley is always like just <laughs> waiting for someone to say something because that's where he's from. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but the thing that's interesting is, of course, from a certain point of view, the Modis are those supermen. Right. I mean, they don't yeah. live as long as people, but think of what the engineers can do and the doctors, and they, they can do things that people can't do. Oh, better, faster. Yeah. yeah. Because when Whitbread was dying, wow. you know, the engineer and the physician worked together to build a blood pump <laughs> that to keep things going. And even though the vertebrae were crushed in the spine, they could probably do this. But they didn't but the physician had never seen a human before, so he couldn't he didn't know all the systems well enough. But yeah. that's what they were doing together. And wow. I went, Oh my gosh, this look at their medicine is interesting. How fascinating, yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering and so, if uh I mean, that that brings a little clarification to that title, you know, The Moat in God's Eye. We were discussing that earlier, but is yeah. it like, you know, humanity is doing the same thing as the Modis. It's just in slow motion, I guess. You know what I mean? It's just not as quick. Because it's like, you know, here we've got, it's like a lot of these aspects of the Modis, you know, when you said like the Sauron... The mm-hmm. the fighters and everything that we've bred or created just to fight, that's how is that unlike a Modi, you know? Well they did yeah, they said Superman, but of course that was stopped. And and one of the things that people said they they kept going, Moat Prime looks so familiar I can't figure it out. And it's because they could see all the, the circular shapes underneath everything from where it had been bombed from the asteroids a long time ago. And it was like, they said, it's like Mars. And they said, there's a reason the Academy is on earth instead of some other nicer, instead of the capital planet, because so I guess earth was, you know, bombed horribly like that too. And when we see Rod Blaine at the beginning, he just finished the, the battles that helped win the planet back for the empire and they said he was being yelled at for taking a chance and trusting some rebel and making some promises without really having the authority. And he said, well, I did it because I thought this way we wouldn't have to melt the planet into lava mm, to win. Yeah. This way people could still live here and have a chance of living. And so they went, oh, fine, we're going to cover you on it. But don't do that again, <laughs> mister. And uh, Very cool. So you can see they have a history of that, and that's what they're afraid of revealing to the Modi. So like you say, those conflicts come up. But I think the thing that's really interesting of how they built in the authors, built in the aliens versus the humans. Um, I said that wrong. How they built in how alien the humans and Modis are to each other is how they approach trying to solve a problem. Hmm. Because to the Modis, the humans are crazy Eddie, which is is a <laughs> series right. of myths that goes You're back to somebody Eddies, who's yeah. always coming up with, this will solve everything, and they come up with the worst possible way to solve it. <laughs> um, and so crazy Eddie, I love that term, it's just so perfect. 
And but they said they're all crazy eddies because they think every problem has a solution. And yes. I'm like, yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it might be long term. It might not be the solution. I think, but somewhere there's a way around stuff. Right. Um, right. And in fact, because I was thinking, oh, maybe not death. And I went, oh, nope, sorry. Sorry to anyone who's not Christian listening and goes, <laughs> oh, my gosh. But that that's all, too. We yeah. don't die. We have immortal souls. It's just a transition to the eternal life. Well, wow, that's fascinating. So, yeah. And we didn't have mm-hmm. to solve that problem. That was that's done right. for us by Christ. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a person that always thinks that there's a way through, you know. There's always a solution to a problem. Always, always. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I've just never viewed that as maybe a Christian viewpoint. Um, but you're right, all the way to death, you know. Yeah, solved. Interesting. Yeah, and I, there must be other cultures that felt that way. I mean, the Romans were, were a lot like the Romans in so many ways. And they were busy, you know, engineering things and fixing problems and sending things out and doing whatever. And... So I don't know the mindset of all these ancient peoples, but I think it's also a human characteristic that, of course, I would think this. I'm Catholic, but Catholics, the Catholic faith allows people the best way, the most tools maybe, to become more themselves, more who Mm. they're meant to be, more fulfill all their potential. And so, therefore, the Catholic Church is the way that you can solve every problem. Right. Even if it's from the fact that this is why we have hospitals and universities. We're trying to help people. You know. Yeah. We can't fi- we can't solve things for everyone, but we can do what we can. We're always going to try. We're going to give food. We're going to educate people. We're going to try to heal them. Mm. We're going to do all these things. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah, the solution is never kill them all. <laughs> no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right? Exactly. That is exactly. not. And, yeah. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I'm just thinking about the implications of all that. I just I've never thought about it in that context where that that is you know that optimism is a is you know a Christian point of view. It doesn't mean only Christians mm-hmm. hold it, but it's right, just the right. idea it's, that it's a it is a an outpouring of the Christian philosophy. It's yeah. intrinsically Catholic and Christian, yeah, right? That optimism. Yeah, I mean, God Himself came to live with us. Show us the way, defeat death, open the door to eternal life. How could you not be optimistic about that? <laughs> Absolutely right. How could that not leave mm-hmm. you with the idea that there is an answer? I might not see it perfectly mm-hmm. or even understand it at the time. Yeah, that's perfectly put, you know? Yeah. And then that's that's another view that we have is we never we never fully understand and we know that we never fully understand. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we don't have all the everything is not in the equation. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. We and, don't yeah, we don't have the viewpoint. We're not big enough. Right. We could just see our little bit. And that's why when, you know, things are going great, you're like, "Oh, good. Thank you so much." When things are going bad, you're like, "Okay. <laughs> this isn't great, but you either are allowing this for a reason I can't see until later or it's happening Despite that, because somebody's using their free will in a terrible way, but guess what? You will bring something good out of it later. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're not allowing it, but it's you're allowing this person to live their human life. Mm. I mean, free will is crazy. And so the Modis, of course, don't have free will. 
The mediators and masters have more than some, but they're still stuck with the cycles and the limitations of their own uh, caste. And they also have this fatalism, and they say in the book at one point, that's bred of thousands and thousands of years of cycles. Hmm. All they can see is getting ready for the next set of cycles wherever point you are the best you possibly can. Right. Yeah, this this makes me think, too, of, um, you know, the population explosion stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there was yeah. just a lot of that stuff floating around. I remember seeing a video not too long ago of somebody who – it was right when I was reading um, Humane Vitae. I was looking oh. into – I was going down lots of rabbit holes, you know, because I thought it's it's so amazing how it predicted the the society's issues – as a result of birth control, right? It, and the, it was so yeah, far I mean, seen. it was, it was yeah. prescient, right? And yes. here, you know, the, the, this has a lot to, to do with that. But the well, one of the things, one of the the things that was pushing the, um, I guess, the popular view of the problem was that there was a really popular book out. I, I forgot what it was called, but it was about this population explosion. And the guy who wrote that book said, yeah, when we hit like 2 billion people, it's going to be horrible. You know, it's, it's like Al Gore talking about the environment, you know? (laughs) So it it was just like total doom. We're, we're all doomed. And, um, of course that time is long ago came and went. Um, but you know, they were using that as an argument against the church about, you know, Hey, your, your views are clearly incorrect and all that stuff. But, um, but this book was written in the midst of some of that public debate. And it's interesting, you know, because they're this, this overpopulation with the Modi's, you know? Yeah. They took that idea and then just built it out and looked at it like, what if it's inevitable? What do you do? What if it is inevitable? And the humanity in this story they expanded. It's like we, that, that, that's, that's what I think humans do anyway. It's like mm-hmm. we figure out there's a way through, right? It's right. like, you know, we, we learn how to make food differently. We, we learn how to, uh, in this case, get off the planet. Um, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of room now, you know what I mean? And, uh, we didn't have to kill anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but I'm just, it's just fascinating from that perspective that, you know, with th- this was written while that big debate was going on. Not that the debate's gone, but but uh, Humanity Vitae was written. You know, right around and then too. Yeah, yeah, and it really was prescient. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In so many ways, I encourage people to go read it. Oh, me whether too, you're Catholic yeah. or not, mm-hmm. because that Pope was it was it Pope Paul the Sixth. Maybe uh, that's right. Yeah. He was under great pressure, um, even from a lot of the advisors he called in, to say, no, no, contraception's a good thing. And I think that's the only thing they were talking about at that point because the pill had been invented. And so the Catholic Church had to grapple with, what do we do about this? Mm -hmm. So the Pope called in all these cardinals and advisors and said, let's talk it over. And so each side uh, wrote a paper. They presented their ideas, I think. And the most people said, we need to do this. It's the right thing to do. It's not breaking any of God's laws. And there was a small minority that said, no, 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 no. So they wrote their papers and he took them away, kind of went and considered and he came back and went, I got to go with the minority on this. You know, you are getting in the way of life. 
life, we have to let God be the final judge of who lives and who dies, even from the moment of potential. Hmm. And then he looked forward and went, there's going to be divorce. There's going to be people ch- killing, you know, babies. There's going I mean, he saw so many things that are happened right now. Life will be devalued. Women will be devalued. Yeah. Yeah. Because sex will just be a commodity instead mm-hmm. of an expression of human love. Um, just, I mean, it was, it's an amazing document just to look at it from just mm-hmm. like, wow, the way he logically followed through the way humans react to different situations. And, yeah. and opportunities. Right. You know, like, I can have yeah. sex and there's no consequence. Right. Yeah, which, and, and what it does to the man, too, you know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's like, Sorry, yeah. Scott, I didn't mean no, to leave you absolutely out. absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, the, the, the removal of the feeling of responsibility, you know. Yeah. Is, is tough. Yeah. Yeah, so you have the fatherlessness of a lot of mm-hmm. people. Right, right. So anyway, yeah. um, amazing, you know, so, just in the thought of that, yeah. you know, these modis and, and how humanity is looked at and yeah, really interesting. Yeah. And because the modis, it's not like they hadn't thought of hormones and all the things, but they never worked. Yeah. They tried everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Super and I would good. Say, I would say the kind of interesting thing from our conversation about the moat in God's eye, we were, when I was saying, they, they put the quote from Matthew about, you know, uh, why are you worried about the beam in your brother's eye when you've got, or the moat in your brother's eye, the speck, mm-hmm. when you've got the beam in your own eye. And I was like, so they put that quote in, it's called the moat in God's eye, and I'm like, what's being talked about? And of course, there are a lot of ways you can go with it on a lot of levels. Yeah, and for sure. There wasn't anything that was so obvious that you and I went, that's it. But it did make me turn the question around and say, the moat in God's eye. And I was like, who are we to say that God has a moat in his eye? Now, I know they were talking about the planet and the 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 light from the laser cannon. But I'm like, so many people. Well, God is like this. He permits evil. He does this. He does that without ever stopping to look at a more nuanced view or say, what are other, what do other people say about these things? And all we do is turn around and kind of like Job's friends or Job, I guess, really. Hey, God, what the <laughs> heck? Yeah. You were wrong. Right. And, and so many uh, people don't believe in God because, well, it's like kind of like they do believe in God because they're saying... Well, God allows this, and therefore I don't believe it. You know, which is like a strange <laughs> yeah. sentence, but yeah. um, but they are. You know, that's you know, I, j- I just can't believe in a God that does that. Yeah, yeah, that that's great. Yeah, I like that one best. I think of all the things we talked about. Because sometimes it's hard not to do it. Sometimes it's hard not. I mean, and God will take it. He's be mad at me. I get it. Go ahead. You don't have the whole picture. No wonder you're mad. But you have to then. Listen to his side. Yeah, for sure. Which is the book of Job again. Here we are back at that one. But, you know. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Mm-hmm. What a great book. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> yeah, and thanks for that. And um, so have you read The Gripping Hand, which is a sequel? I tried to read it, but I didn't like it. Oh, okay, darn I it. I didn't get that far into yeah. it. Okay. All right. The gripping hand is uh, uh, possibly not for me then. <laughs> I might, might be. Like I it. might be too fascinated not to try it though. Yeah. Um, if you like it, I'd be curious to hear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I wanted to hear that it was just incredible, awesome. I'd love to be able to tell you that. <laughs> I certainly felt that way when I picked it up. I was like, oh, yay, oh, finally. Oh, no. It. I don't like great. this at all. Yeah. Too good, too good. They didn't have the same magic. Maybe they didn't have Heinlein looking over the first draft. Yeah. Copy right. editing it for them. That's right. Yeah, that is something we should mention for those who are science fiction fans. Yeah, Heinlein had his hand in this a little bit. Um, yeah, like you said, he, he read the first draft, thought it was terrific, offered ideas, and um, then apparently Niven in his book End Space sort of detailed what it was like writing the book, and he said that Heinlein okay. actually copy-edited the final draft. Man. So, cool. He really believed in the book. Yeah, yep. And it has a bit of a Heinleinian feel, not as if Heinlein wrote it, but in the sense that the social structures, even when I read it in 1974, they felt old-fashioned. Mm. Because it's yeah, this idea yeah. that, you know, for a woman to have a career, yeah. nobody does that. You get married. Right. And um, people saying, oh, no, Sally's going to have to let the aliens <laughs> see how women are made. Oh. <laughs> and... Um, and so in 1974, that was a real throwback to like books from maybe the 1950s to science fiction books and how they would treat men and women or, or yeah, short stories even. Yeah. And so it always kind of bugged me until I was reading it through one of my various rereads and, and just said, well, that doesn't mean they couldn't have picked, chosen to go back to that or they're at that level of, you yeah. know, this is just how they, they're doing it. That's okay. Because yeah. I kind of put it down to the authors being old-fashioned. Yeah, and, and you're making a really good point. Um, because as you poke around and look at people's reviews, you know, as so many reviews are nowadays, that, that becomes the focus. Um, you know, that Sally is the only female character in the book, and uh, their ships are all male and, and all this stuff, and how incredibly old-fashioned. But what you just said that uh, opened my eyes a little bit or made me go, hmm, is that, yeah, that was old-fashioned in 1974. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, what were the uh, what was the author's point then? And I don't know if that was uh, Jerry Pornell's, because I think this book, my understanding is that this book was set in Pornell's universe that he had previously written about. So I I think I I forgot what it's called, like the empire of man or something like that. So he had a series, I think he had a book called King David's spaceship. I remember that I can see that book in my head, but I don't think I ever read it. Um, but, um, but, but it's interesting. It's not like these authors didn't realize that that was old fashioned. Um, yeah, they chose that for a yeah, reason. Yeah, they chose it for a reason. And I'm, I'm not positive what it is, but I think it's interesting to think about it. Well, because there were some things, well, for one thing, they were prescient, I think, in talking, everybody had a pocket computer. Yeah. They're all pulling it out and accessing ship's logs to look up old, look up information, show pictures to each other, mm-hmm. take pictures to send back, take yes. videos. And yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> and in my head, it was like, I hadn't read this in 10 years. So I'm like, oh, yeah. suddenly everyone's got a smartphone. That's right. You know, so That's right. It's really funny. But um, I, I guess this is just something that hit me when um, it, it goes along with their imperial empire and the traditional way they do things. And the Modis come back to New Scotland and they have a big parade honoring mm. them. And also it's their chance to show the uh, rebel planets like, you know, we got things, we got power, we got soldiers, all the stuff. It's a big 
parade for that reason too. Yeah. And we were watching the Super Bowl this weekend. Oh, nice. And mm-hmm. they started off with, you know, Johnny Cash and the, the choir of kids and then Johnny Cash doing this, this ragged old flag. Well, it's been to Vietnam. Well, it's been here. I think we'll keep it, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, I was watching that going, I'm not saying I don't appreciate this, but I think it's an odd choice for the beginning of the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And then thing after thing after thing were all being extremely patriotic that way. And I thought, you know, I maybe I've just never noticed all this before. I, I'm happy to see it. But Rose looked at it and she said, you know, if you're somebody from a culture that doesn't really understand America, this is when you look at the Super Bowl and say it is a uniquely American event. Mm. We have wrapped it in our flag. We're singing patriotic songs. We're honoring members of the military. We're having a flyover. (laughs) We're doing all this stuff. And I was like, it's just like that parade they had on New Scotland. Yeah. Not for the great. same reason, but it's celebrating America. Yeah. Not just yeah. two football teams, America. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, and I remember, I remember I, a line in the book. He said, yeah, we've been doing this forever, parades, and, and we're not going to yeah. stop now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to keep cool. going with it. Yeah. Well, and I was reading an article in the Wall Street Journal before the um, – Super Bowl that said it had people from all kinds of backgrounds. So and somebody from India, somebody from Africa, all the things, right? And they all said, oh, yes, our family watched the Super Bowl. Hmm. We get together with other families like us. Yeah. This place, this place, this, you know, synagogue, whatever. And we'd watch it and we'd all bring American treats. <laughs> so cool. the mother would make nachos, but they all were a little Indian. Uh-huh. And, you know, these <laughs> other people would make what, this kind of a dip. But it's not really hummus like Americans understand it, but it's this kind. Oh, that's cool. And it made me think of Thanksgiving. Yes. Yeah. The other thing where you'll read about people going, well, we got to cook a turkey. How would I cook that in Estonia? Oh, sort that's of thing. Neat. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I never really thought of equating the two things. Of course, they're very different purposes, but this is a celebration of America today. Yeah, I agree. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love that you said Thanksgiving um, because I, I, in my growing up, um, that was a Thanksgiving level holiday every year was the Super Bowl. So, oh yeah, I mean it was yeah it was families getting together, people coming over, mm-hmm. big meal, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as much and junk we, food we as you to, can yeah, get out there. Yeah, we happen to have football on Thanksgiving, so. <laughs> I mean, in the United States, so it's become that, too. That's a good point. Also, you know, because how can you have a holiday, really, without the Cowboys playing? You just can't. It's just like... No, and it was really my dream, and Mm. I have to digress for a moment, really had been a Chiefs-Cowboys Super Bowl. Maybe next year. My mom's a big Chiefs fan, so we watch all the Chiefs games with her because she lives with us, and then the Cowboys. And so she's, in three years, learned to watch the Cowboys. She comes back for the Cowboys games now and says we and us and roots for them and (laughs) so uh, it it would have been a house divided but i would have loved it so much yes that's hilarious yeah hopefully next year yes finally our year (laughs) thy will be done lord (laughs) too fun that's great well thank you so much for bringing this book I know. So, I'm. I still totally can't believe you it. hadn't read it before. So I'm yeah, so glad it's, that it's one you of those that's just yeah, 
just yep. hadn't got to the top of the pile. So I get it. I'm thrilled. Yep. Good. So next up for us is Mary and Max. <gasps> Yay. Yay. I haven't seen this in a really yeah. probably 13 years. Me now too. That I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that on the next episode. I love it. We absolutely will. <laughs> so it's a, uh, it's a movie. Yeah. Mary and Max movie. So. It's an animated movie, and yep. I'm not sure. It must be showing somewhere, but yeah. good luck. Definitely Look check around. it out. Definitely check Google it out. It. <laughs> yep. Good deal. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.